Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us here at Cloud Wars Live, where we explore today's digital business revolution by speaking with business executives and thought leaders who are profoundly changing how the world works, lives, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is Dion Hinchcliffe, one of my favorite, well, no, in fact, he is my number one favorite analyst and strategist exploring the remarkable and sometimes mystifying intersection of business and technology. A big-time thinker, futurist, and writer, Dion is VP and Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. Dion, welcome to the Cloud Wars Live podcast. Thanks very much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Bob. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so, Dion, your, your writing and your outlook on the business technology sector, I find to be quite unique. Um, some analysts, I think, believe that business was invented to worship enterprise technology, and I think there's others that just don't really fully understand the technology side of it to be able to bring a balanced approach. So I'd just like to ask, what's behind the intertwined perspectives that you always offer, which gives enough sort of depth into the tech side, but while also providing that perspective that shows it's the business outcomes that really matter? How, how did you come up with that unique blend? Well, I've been very fortunate in my career. Uh, I did start out on the technology side. I've been, uh, uh, still am a practicing enterprise architect. Always had that big picture view, uh, trying to understand all the key moving parts. But at that level, you also have to understand how all of it connects to the function of the business itself. So I've had uh, stints in, in uh, auto insurance, finance, even defense, and all of those were, are really focused industries where I've had, I had a chance early on to work with CIOs. We're really trying to move the needle for the business, but using yeah. technology. And that's always been, you know, the IT business divide has been one of the most uh, challenging uh, ongoing discussions in our industry for decades. And it's, it's getting better, but we still have a ways to go. But, uh, you know, I, I put one foot on each, on each side. We have got to connect those two worlds for all this to mean something. So, Dan, in that context, uh, in July of this year, you and your colleagues at Constellation Research created a new list innovative leaders called the Business Transformation 150. And when that list was announced, right, you know, you, had, you offered a compelling quote about what's going on in the business world today. So I'd just like to quickly read an excerpt of, what, of that quote from you and then ask you to tell us a little bit about, you know, what you were the thinking behind that and then also about your Business Transformation 150. And here's the quote. Digital change continues to dominate the agenda of the global C-suite in what is proving to be a growth market despite the challenges of major new disruptive technologies. This year's BT150 reflects the best and brightest senior leaders grappling with those advances while building a strong foundation for transformative futures. So Dion, today there's a, you know, and you, you certainly touched on it there, there's a lot of competing and potentially conflicting dynamics at play in the C-suite. So what makes the execs on your BT150 list stand out? the next generation digital leader called the new C-suite. And I've written about it a number of times. And, you know, there's a post out there that talks about the mindset of this, this type of leader. And it's much more of a growth mindset than we had in the past uh, with IT, which, I, you know, IT's been considered a support function, right? A cost center. It doesn't actually drive the business. Uh, but most of the BT-150 are very much think the opposite, that IT is becoming the business. Most organizations are becoming primarily technology companies. The user experiences is where the value is created. And so uh, we, we see this broad switch. And so the inductees to the BT-150 had to have done something recently to really drive forward kind of that growth mindset. 
they had to be working with emerging technologies in some significant way and have had a recent achievement. And, and so to the, the extent that we could, we tried to talk to every single one of them. And we think most of them are really excellent poster children for that. Yeah, Dion, I think there was a, I certainly felt a, that, you know, connection there because there were some years in the past, going, going back a handful of years, where I would continue to be just extremely frustrated. You'd be talking to CIOs, and they're really sharp, and they got a lot of things, but then they'd inevitably come up with a line that, if not exactly these words, very close to it, and say, you know, the job of, you know, my job and the IT team's job is to support the business. And, you know, I just wanted to scream because right there you're saying IT is not part of the business, right? It's separate. Yeah. So like you said, when we know what happens at cost centers, you know, these days. So I congratulate you and your colleagues for sort of pushing forward and maybe pounding some final nails into those coffins where certainly CIOs and entire IT organizations, the culture and the mindset has to be one where they're intimately involved in the business and you're not immune from things like uh, revenue and growth and customers and market shifts and moves forward there. It just seems so essential these days. So are you optimistic about the pace at which companies at large or industries at large are moving in the right direction? So I think things are getting better, uh, but the data isn't good, right? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. we have these uh, variety of challenges. One, large-scale initiatives have about the same failure rate as they did 30 years ago. Right. So we're not learning something there, right? It's hard. Uh, uh, the latest Harvard Business Review data says 77% of large initiatives fail, even they significantly underperform, or they go way over budget or are way late, right? And uh, and this is why big bang projects are out of favor. Most people break them up into a portfolio of things that they do that are that are more loosely connected that can live and die on their own, and that seems to work. It does work much better. And then you have the other really disturbing data that most of the companies that were on the S&P 500 or in the Fortune 500 from the year 2000 are gone. Most of them are, are over 60% are gone. And the primary reason, according to the, to the MIT Technology Review, is failure to adapt to technology change. Yeah, yeah. So that's your blockbuster, Barnes & Noble, and, and RIM, and all of those, all, all those organizations that didn't see the writing on the wall fast enough and couldn't change quickly enough, right? And that's a real challenge. And then you have the others. I've been a lot of organizations every year, Bob, and uh, I see the IT department still in their own building. Right or have their own yeah. floor, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh-huh. And so it's just, uh-huh. this is very pattern. There's, there's a real right, pride in some of that sometimes too, right? Where we get technology, we're the high priests, and that's what we do. And we're over here, and we're not going to give them the messy parts of the business. And that I see starting to break up a little bit. Is the good news? I'm seeing more matrixing of business and IT people. The growth of IT, what are called business IT liaisons roles and organizations that says, oh, we're actually going to have to put some of our people out into the business. All those are encouraging, but the problem is is, is things are changing faster outside the, or most organizations yeah. than inside, and that, that's untenable. So, Dan, along those lines, you know, a, a sort of two-part question here. What do you think are the biggest issue or two that C-level execs should be focusing on today? And then second, do you find that there's a very serious issue that still in that C-suite, it's just not getting nearly the attention it deserves. Yeah, and then the data has shown, I'm a very database guy. I want to try, we, we have so many folks in the BT-150 now, it allows us to get real data points. That actually okay. Something. So where is this going? What patterns do we see? And I think if you're talking about the C-suite, there's two things that, that need to be done. One is the doctor heal thyself type of thing. The, the, the boards and the C-suite are not digitally experienced enough. And they just don't put enough time into it. It's not, as you said, a priority. If you look at a CEO's typical top 10 priorities, at least 
uh, in 2018, and finally, digital transformation made the list, and there might be customer experience on that list. But you'd be surprised. A lot of it is, you know, how do I deal with you know global regulatory change? That's much more likely to be at the top, uh-huh. right? Uh, and or customer privacy, which is good, and it does involve technology, but uh, it's not going to drive the business forward, right? And, and yeah. it's not going to sustain it. So the uh, so you have these challenges, and so what we've been t- kicking around a lot is, you know, what does it take? Do we need? How do we get to digitally qualified executives, you know, in these roles so that they're putting the right attention? So that has to be done. That uh, we have to the boards and the C suites have to look inward and address the experience and qualification issue around digital. And then the other challenge is just is, is, be able, is, is successfully steering a very large organization and driving the, the education and skills and the culture into the organization around what, what it takes to, uh, to be a digital organization to, to drive that growth. It's more of a people problem than a technology problem. There's a lot of skill building, a lot of education. You can deploy all the technology you want across the organization and say, all right, let's build our business around it, but the skills aren't there. So that's the other piece that really has to be done, has to be addressed. And now a quick break to hear from our sponsor. SAP Experience Management is helping businesses connect to their customers and then connect customers back to those businesses. Just listening to your customers is not enough. Businesses need to respond, react, and relate to them as individuals. Each one of them has his or her own likes, dislikes, and preferences. By combining experience data with operational data, SAP can help your business turn customer insights into actions that make their experiences better. SAP Experience Management helps you turn customers into fanatics and products into obsessions. Learn more at sap.com xm. The best on SAP. Now back to the show. Well, Dan, that's interesting. And I noticed that hooks back to a comment you had made earlier, right? That IT organizations need to be more focused on, you know, the business overall growth, customers, talent. So this, this talent and skills uh, point there as well. What do you advise companies, right? To how, do, how should they approach this talent and skills issue that you've brought up a couple of times now? Yeah, and great talent is is what's going to drive this forward. Uh, so if you look at you know the, the big tech companies that are they're a second hair out of the room, you know the Googles, the Amazons, and, and so on, you know they're hiring the very very best people that they can, right? So the, the you know the number one folks in any, any given category, that's what they're going after. And so that that's that's a tall challenge for most organizations to match it. And additional learning isn't going to do it. For example, there's negative employment in software development and cybersecurity and and other fields. Negative employment. Yeah. So there's there's, uh, uh, there there isn't anyone else, right? So we need to do a lot more upskilling inside of our organizations. Great, as we have these amazing digital tools for learning now, right? So there's online learning platforms that are you know much more self-paced, self-service, often. Uh, underpinned by a community like so massively open online courses for example have been growing leaps and bounds a huge industry most people not even paying attention to it corporate learning and this is where hr has really not served the organization well when it comes to digital has not rolling these out in mass uh to to drive the, the educational change and skill building in our organizations if you look at the pace of amazon's you know cloud development if you were if you're following with following all the things that happened at reinvent you know the that the foundation of all this stuff is changing much faster than our organizations are uh-huh. adapting, right? But some organizations, if you look at startups, they're wiring this stuff in almost as fast as it comes out, right? And that, you know, so we know it can be done, but most aren't doing it. They're just not organized very well. So, Dion, that touches on some too, I think. Just a related point. I do think it's funny sometimes today hearing companies 
talk about uh, it's almost language from 20 years ago and sort of the classical, you know, on-premise enterprise software type of thing, like uh, that somehow finance, HR, that these are back office. And I just think that's such an uh, anachronism these days. And as you describe it here, companies are never going to be able to fulfill their strategies, fulfill their potential if they don't regard things like talent as absolute top line priority. Does the data tell you anything about the pace at which companies are recognizing more clearly the importance of a more aggressive posture toward talent? We don't have good data on that. And that's a tough one. And when I'm on an issue, I'll be working on in 2019 because the, the CEO of GE, famous one, I can't remember his name uh, off the top of my head, he has a famous saying, you know, when the rate of change outside your organization is yeah. much greater than what's inside, the, the end is near. And yeah. my gut tells me that, yeah, most organizations are actually aging out of being competitive, right? They're not, they're not offering the services that the market would expect. You know, I look at uh, what Elon Musk is doing with the, the Tesla platform as a, from a software perspective and iterating it so quickly and putting in so many innovative ideas on a weekly basis, practically. And just demonstrating to a, you know, a hidebound uh, industry what's possible when you, when you treat your industry like the high-tech industry it should be, right? So what I do have, I did a survey of 50 top CIOs last year and basically said, what are you really, what are you, what are you really facing? And 94% of them said they're either under strong or very strong pressure to move much more quickly. And so we're yeah. seeing that. We're, the, the data is showing that, this, that the, 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 the urgency is being pushed down onto the shoulders of, of IT leaders. It's just that they're not able to deliver. They don't have the talent for the most part. Some do, but, but most of them don't have the talent. I'd be able to move this agenda forward and go fast. So, Dion, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you see this like in studies of history, right, and in how things happen. The, the awareness is there of a need for change. The capabilities aren't necessarily there. And as you point out, on the one hand, you've got startups are showing a capability to do this sort of thing. You've got these mega companies they're able to go out and attract the best talent and weave this sort of, you know, incredibly rapid, relentless innovation into, into what they do. And I don't mean to just keep coming back to this, but what can those companies in the middle do? You know, is this a cultural thing? Is it a leadership thing? You know, where do they get started to get back on the right track? Well, well, I mean, I think it's worth revisiting because in my practice, I've spent a lot of time trying to find out what's the patterns for success. When people are doing it, what are they doing? You know, what's working? And, and so I use an example. There's, there's two ways to solve this problem. One, you can try to staff your way into it. So, for example, when uh, General Motors decided that they realized that mobile devices were, were going to be an integral part of the ownership experience for cars, they said, we have to be mobile. Our experience has to be, have all the right mobile applications and mobile experiences that people are coming to expect, right, to be able to track their cars and have a relationship with it and uh, order up maintenance and, and start their car remotely yeah. and, and, and all the things that we see now, right? So they hired 8,000 mobile developers, right? So they tried it the hard way, right? So uh, this, this, this is the approach I call it, doing it all yourself. And contrast this with a lot of other very successful companies. When I tend to look at an organization that's doing much better, they're not trying to do it all themselves, right? They may not try and staff all the way in because most organizations don't have the resources to staff in. in fact, for one thing, those people don't even exist anymore. They've been taken off the yeah. market, right? Yeah, uh-huh. And second of all, it's very expensive to do it that way uh, and, and slow, right? To build, you know, uh, absorbing 8,000 people, getting them all directed, that can take a year or more, years or more, right? 
So what a lot of organizations have, doing, have, been, have been doing is platforming their business, building an ecosystem of partners around it, saying, hey, I don't have to do it all myself. So you know, if you look at the App Exchange or the Apple App Store, you know, the amount of economic revenue flowing through those, those things is enormous. And Apple can say, not only does it, this device do everything that we build into it, but there's, there's, a, there's almost a million developers adding to it all the time, right? And Apple gets revenue whether they build the feature or their partners build the feature. Yeah, and we see this, and and so we see this model, you know, uh, as being much more successful. And so the question is, can regular organizations do it? Because both of those are very high-performing organizations. Which again, you see the high-performing organizations doing this thing over and over again, whereas the other old companies don't even think this way. And so now you uh-huh. have using other people's ingenuity, time, and resources to build on for your business these things and doing it very, very quickly. Right, this is very successful now. I've since repeated that around the world. It's a repeatable process. Right, yes. Facebook has famously used hackathons to develop new features for what they're doing. So these are the types of really targeted activities. Are lightweight, very high velocity, very effective, and, and saying I don't have to do it myself. I can spread out the risk, the cost, and cast a wider net for innovation. These things are working. And I have many other case examples I'm assembling for my next book, which is going to be about this topic. How do we? How, What's really working? What are the patterns for success for digital transformation? I'm asking. Ah, it sounds like a good one. Dean, I know, um, you know, what you had mentioned a couple of years ago, I had an opportunity. I spoke with a gentleman who is the, the CIO for, the, for Hong Kong. And one of the things he said was that he said the, the government of Hong Kong had become very good at collecting data. And he chuckled and he said, we, we're, we're terrible at doing anything with it. So he said when he came in there, one of the things he said was, he said, let's just, he said that the traffic, the congestion on that tiny island with the unbelievable construction, it's been terrible. He said, let's just put some data out. He said, release some of it publicly or make it, make it available to the public. And he said within, I think it was 48 hours, again, like, you, you know, those numbers, close to 100 different applications that, you know, entrepreneurs or developers just saw that, put it out. He said it was zero cost. He said, you know, we thought maybe we'd get one or two. So that is a powerful lesson, but there's something in the culture of big companies, right? Like you mentioned the GM not, not example. Inve- not invented here. There's a yeah, phrase yeah. for it. Yeah, exactly. We, we got to own it. You know, it, it has to be ours. And, but the, 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 it's a different place now, right? Is it that the need for speed uh, and velocity, as you described, it sort of overwhelms the notion of it's got to be invented here? Well, if you try and do it all yourself, you'll fall behind. That's, that's the message, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Hey, Dion, I wanted to ask you um, one last thing here before we wrap up. Are there any of the top cloud vendors doing some things, either along the lines of what we've discussed or differently, that you find to be particularly strategic right now that are going to help separate them from the pack? Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, obviously, being highly consumable, very, very easy to use. We, and we're seeing all the cloud vendors you know, try, trying to, to improve the consumability, the usability, the manageability especially, right? But we're seeing some interesting differentiators attempts to really kind of push out and say, can we rethink the computing part of cloud computing so that it's, you know, we can, we can achieve order of magnitude cost reductions or order of magnitude performance increases for the same kind of cost. And so right now I'm watching with considerable interest the use of both GPUs and FPGAs to basically break Moore's law by saying that what we're going to do is in the same server space, we're going to put 100 times more power, 500 times more power for the same cost or less, even like in the case of FPGAs, right? So that 
been interesting. Uh, that's going to, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of debate about quantum computing and whether that's going to really be a big player in, in cloud. I think it will eventually, but it's a much longer time horizons. But the concern is that it will unleash enough computing power to make all of our existing cybersecurity methods inadequate, right? So we can break encryption <laughs> and things like that. Uh, yeah. That's actually going to happen with these advances, right? Massively parallel, throwing thousands of cores in the server, uh, which is what the numbers we're heading to. Of, and, you know, instead of having you know the, just uh, the four to eight threads we have now on a server, we, we can have thousands of them. Yeah, and yeah. For the same, for you know, in the same order of magnitude in terms of price. And so that is, you know, that kind of experimentation. I don't see people tracking that. I'm like, you're, we're about to see the available compute power just drop towards zero. Why the why the capacity you know heads to the sky, right? It's just so I'm watching that, and so I, I predict that that's. You know, as we get better at, running, at developing software for these, because that's the problem, you can't just recompile your code, you have to rewrite the code for these, for these capabilities. Those that are willing to do that are going to reap tremendous competitive advantage because they can do the same thing for, you know, one-tenth to one-one-hundredth of cost, right? Dude, based on what you just said there, let me just real quick, are you a tech optimist? I am. I'm unfortunately less of a tech optimist because now we see that become so pervasive that bad actors are actually trying to figure out how to, how to misuse it, right? So it used yeah. to be... It's a great business to be in because it was everyone was working towards positive outcomes, and now there's some that are not, and that that's discouraging. But overall, I'm a tech optimist. Yeah. All right. Well, Dion, this has been a, a terrific conversation. Thanks so much for your time and insights. Uh, absolutely. I really appreciate you having me uh, on the show. And many thanks to all of you listeners for joining us here on Cloud Wars Live, where we explore the unfolding adventures of digital business and digital life and how those are profoundly changing how we work, play, learn, and experience the world. I hope you'll join us for other episodes of Cloud Wars Live, and please share your feedback with me at bobevanspa at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.